Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, Binaural Production Engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Alien, It's Worse, It's Us, and monthly co-host Kat Baldwin, author of the Free of Things Workshop. If you are interested in contributing to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. Now, without further ado, our guest for today is Von Brashler. Thanks for coming back on, Von. Thank you, Gary. I'm ready to discuss everything imaginable. I know you are. Because <laughs> you have written pretty much about everything imaginable. That is for sure. Um, so any specifics that you want to talk about today? Any new projects, new books coming out? You know, um, I'm really excited about this fall because I, I started writing for um, uh, Red, um, Red Feather, the Schiffer Book Company imprint, Red Feather, Body, Mind, Spirit. And we were talking about how people seem to be now with the new technology, not so much oriented toward carrying around the book in their pocket, right? you know, electronic. So we thought like, hmm, what do we do? So we thought, well, we could join the electronic age, and, and, and we have. But we thought, you know what? <laughs> Let's go old school. So it's in September, we're going to release a couple of scrolls. <laughs> yeah. I kid you not. But they're really pretty, and they're really pretty. Go online. They already posted I think, the first one. Mm-hmm. They're really nice. They, they they were put together in India. It's a it's a it's a beautiful uh, tube with a huge stopper. It comes in a little tiny box. And the first one is called um, Ancient Mystery Scroll Lucid Dreaming. And then then there's another one this fall that's going to be on. Um, hmm. Past lives. Wow, that Past is lives. that is brilliant. I don't know. I've never interviewed anybody who has released a scroll yet. So, so I was talking to the the the, the director there, Chris McClure, and we said, you know, um, it, we're we're not going uh, new school. We're going old school. And he, you know, and I thought, you know, let's just. Uh, Plant some in 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 the in the dirt and see if two thousand years later they dig them up and say, "Look, this is what they thought about past lives." <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Or hide them in a cave by the black by the um, Dead Sea. Exactly. <laughs> I, I love the story of the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, isn't it funny that the, the Nag Hammadi Library, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, what was the other one? They were all found in the like early 50s mm-hmm. in clay pots in the same area. You know, so we have the Coptic um, books. We have the, 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 uh, the ancient uh, uh, writings of the ancient Hebrew uh, mystics. We've got, the, the, uh, obviously, the Nag Hammadi Library and the Gnostic Gospels. I think it's just fascinating. It is fascinating. Also, they found the uh, the copper scroll. scroll. Yes, the copper scrolls. Now, Thank you. Now, I wonder, like, like, do you think the copper scroll is really a treasure map? Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> treasure is what you make of it, right? 
That is true. Maybe. Which could be another stash of scrolls somewhere else. It could be. You know, the most valuable thing in the world is knowledge. And, and I think, because, you know, I write about consciousness, I think the most valuable thing is, is, is beginning to access and use your consciousness. Because mm-hmm. I think that the energy of the universe, universally speaking, from the, the, the grandest celestial body to the smallest atom on Earth, it's all driven by, initialized by, sustained, and, and infused with consciousness, which is, of course, intelligent energy or light or vibrational um, energy, if you will. And within all of us is this, this great consciousness. Yet most people, sadly, would like to listen to their little brain, which by mm-hmm. comparison, by comparison is like a pocket calculator. It can tell you what was put in the little calculator yesterday when you were like, uh, you know, kind of on your best game. If you, if you stored the information correctly, you might have some information to retrieve. Whereas inside all of us is a supercomputer. It's our, it's our consciousness. It's much bigger. Hmm. Do, you, do you think that, that we are consciousnesses existing within a supreme conscious? In supreme conscious? Yeah, like there's like a supreme conscious and we're yeah, 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 yeah. consciousness I, inside of it. Yeah, so when people talk about higher consciousness, this is the way I resolve this. It's like there's only one consciousness. Mm-hmm. And it's either on or it's, or it's off, you know. And it's like your consciousness is infused in, into everything. I mean, into everything. It's in, infused into the earth. It's infused into the mountains, into the, to the trees, the birds. It's infused in us. But whether or not where it's actually activated, you know, is another thing. So when we take our human consciousness and we tune it, attune it to higher consciousness, that is to say, the greater cosmos consciousness, then we have higher consciousness. Hmm. So what you said one of the scrolls is about lucid dreaming, which is... yeah. Perfect timing because I was late for this interview because I was asleep and dreaming. <laughs> Excellent, you were you were doing your work, Gary. Indeed, I was. Um, tell me a little bit about what you have to say about like lucid dreaming, how to achieve lucid dreaming, yeah. and what are some of the benefits of being in that state. So, in 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 the scroll, I look at historically through the ages and different civilizations throughout time what dreams have meant to people, and they've meant a lot to people. People would actually have prophetic dreams, you know. Uh, people would like dream things of the past, and and I think the the thing to remember here is that in in our consciousness, in our spirit body, there is no such thing as time space. You know, that those are physical limitations. So in, in our lucid dreams, if they're truly, you know, lucid dreams, you can go anywhere, anytime, you know. So you can have prophetic dreams. In fact, people have prophetic dreams all the time. They they often don't put a lot of stock into them, but because they think, oh, I just had this dream. It was like, yeah, you were there. Did you know, let's see what you got, you know. So, I mean, shamans would go into a deep trance-like state and they would have dreams, what we might call dreams. What we might call dreams, what they might call trances, what other people might call out-of-body experience. 
and what other people might call, you know, insight is all the same. You know, you're actually in, in a consciousness body, in a pure spirit body, leaving, you know, your physical limitation of time space going forward or backward in time. Shamans have done this for years. And what would they do with it? They would go as a perfect witness into the past. They would observe what the ancestors were saying. They wouldn't participate. They'd listen. You know, they go forward in time to see what, what the future holds for their people as a perfect witness. And so what I do, try to do in, in the book, in the, in the scroll, is, 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 <laughs> it's not a book, it's a scroll. So um, I, I try to uh, outline how to reliably program your own lucid dream so that you can have a lucid dream, you know, on demand. You know, you don't just accidentally, as most people do, encounter a lucid dream. And then later on you say, that dream was so vivid, that dream was so lucid, I saw all the colors, you know, I can remember it all in great detail. It just inspired me. I just have this great sense of insight from my dream. It's like, but was it a dream, you know, or was it real? It's like, okay. Because a lot of us will dream and they'll be like fitful dreams. And like what we're doing is like playing over memories in our, in our mind, in our brain. And, and, and these are like uncomfortable, often nightmarish dreams. They're like trying to resolve in this half sleep state we call dream, trying to resolve what, what, the, what, the, what, the, what the brain cannot analyze and resolve during your more wakeful moments because the brain is frustrated. You know, it's like this does not compute. So they're like, say, okay. And this guy is taking a time out. I'm going to play back this information and try to figure it out. And it's usually like, no, you're like, you're, your mind is half asleep in these so-called fitful dreams. So you're not going to resolve anything. I mean, not likely. But this is not the same as a lucid dream. A lucid dream is very vivid. It's an out-of-body dream. It's a dream of insightfulness where you go somewhere maybe beyond time, maybe beyond space, you explore things. It's very vivid. It's very colorful. You have great recognition of it. So I try to tell people how to actually set it up, you know, in a couple of ways, Mm -hmm. you know, setting it up, you know, so you could have like a daydream. You don't have to like totally go to sleep. Some people would call this meditation. I call it setting it up, up a lucid daydream. Okay, same, same. Get, your, get the body very still, very quiet, still the mind, tune everything out, and then program, program your dream. And how do you do this? Creatively visualize, creatively visualize in your mind's eye, begin to paint a picture of where you want to go, what you want to see, who you want to see, wh- what you want to learn, what you want to experience, you know, and then, and then actually visualize doing it and then go, you know, so, so. What you do is, you know, you say, okay, when I have this, I'm going to bring this, this, this picture I've drawn back in front of my mind's eye. When that happens, it's a cue. It's a, it's a post-hypnotic su- suggestion, if you will. It's a cue to actually leave the body and go there. Now, you can also program your, your, your sleep 
your sleeping times Uh so that when you go to sleep, you know, you've been programmed by having done this process of visualizing, creatively visualizing on a screen, a white picture, a white screen in front of your mind's eye, where you draw or paint a picture of what you want to see, what you want to do, where you want to go and when you want to go, what you want to encounter, the questions you wish to resolve, and, and, and then actually picture that it happens. And then you, you tell yourself a post-hypnotic suggestion, when I go to sleep, when I go to sleep, then this, this picture will return in front of my uh, mind's eye, and I will follow it like an unerring map into my dreamscape. And you enter a dreamscape where everything is different. You know, you, you forget your five senses. You know, blue won't be blue and up won't be up. You know, it'll all be different. You know, forget your five senses. You'll have a sense of high conscious awareness in your lucid dream. And we can learn in our dream. It is, a, is it an opportunity to unleash the consciousness in us, our spirit, to go and explore and learn and grow. Because that's what your spirit wants to do. Well, we're going out in lucid. Well, one thing, first, first I'll back up a little bit. Is lucid dreaming like like with an intention like you have where you set an intention that you're going to go out and find something and come back with the answer? Is that the same as like um, dream incubation? Um, Yeah, I've had some experience with dream incubation. I'm not sure it's quite the same. I think dream incubation is kind of it's kind of so contrived that um, there might be some, some similarities, but you don't have quite the same control personal controls over it mm-hmm. and and um i think it's very important that you actually self-program your your dreams interesting when you're out there looking for answers in your lucid dream state yeah and we're outside of our bodies where are we are we like in the fifth dimension are we in the astral plane akashic records all of the above all of the above okay here's the thing your your energy bodies are, are going to go with you. You know, people call this astral projection. Well, yes, you can astrally project, but do you really want to just live on the astral plane with your emotional body as your guide? You see, I mean, your causal body will take you to the causal plane and so forth and so on. Your mental body will take you to the mental plane. Your buddhic body will take you to the buddhic level. You know, there are levels there are in the seven, the seven heavens, the seven, the seven the seven um, planes of existence that are accessible to each and every one of us correspond to our seven subtle bodies. We see seven subtle bodies. There's the physical body and six subtle energy bodies, which, which kind of um, surround us like um, um, energy grids, like you know, webbing, if you will, like layers of an onion. And on each one of them, on each one of them is an active chakra. An active chakra, which, no, I'm sorry, they're not lined up in your spine. That sounds cute, but that's very, that's very, um, what do you say? Gosh, um, a very uh, material reductionist way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. Very linear way of looking at things. Your chakra is a non-physical thing. It is energy. It is your consciousness. It is your consciousness. So your chakras are actually uh, located on all of your subtle energy bodies. So when you go 
when you leave the body in this fashion, it's more than an astral projection. You're going, you know, with your your mental body. You're going with your 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 causal body. You know, you're going with your um, your, your higher spiritual body. So you can go to many many planes of existence. And most people will say, "Well, I've been to the astral plane. Have you been to the causal plane?" I mean, I mean, the causal plane is really fascinating. I mean, that's where the akashic records are. You know, and if you want to see them, if you want to really understand how things become something. You know, you want to you want to go and see that. I mean, it's put it on your bucket list like the Grand Canyon. I want to see the Akashic Records. It is just freaking fascinating. It's like the potentiality of energy to come in somewhere and then materialize into something. You know, it's there waiting. You can see the future before it unfolds. You know, it is incredible. So, so yes, so you can go to all of these levels, you know, so, so we're talking like, we're talking like a multidimensional experience. I mean, it's not simply that I'm going to project myself into Toledo, Ohio. You could do that, you know, but I could project myself in Toledo, Ohio in 1946 or 2024. Or I could project myself into another aspect of, of Toledo, you know, Ohio in 2024, which would be, you know, let's say the mental realm, the, the parallel world that is simply the mental realm or the causal realm or the astral realm. These are all places we can go to. It is our, our God-given right because we have these, these subtle energy bodies, and every one of them is driven by consciousness. Well, we do something like that. Say, for example, I astral project back to 1986, and I alter the fact that instead of graduating at the bottom of my class, I graduated at the top of the class. Could that possibly materialize in a different reality now? I'm going to say no, because <laughs> I, 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 I would have done it. No, no. <laughs> but, but here's the thing, Gary. I, I think that, that, that you go back and, and you can't really change the past, but you can change the present by what you know of the past. Mm -hmm. And this is not just purely information, because consciousness doesn't work like I'm going to have the following information jammed into this computer. That's the way your brain works. Your consciousness is much more, you know, it, it, it understands that you can look back and then you can, you can, you can have an, an energy input to that. In other words, you can go back to yourself in school and, and try to project, you know, insight into your, you know, awakening into yourself, you know, wake up, wake up, you know, and, and, and. Or you can project energy to yourself to be more well, you know. Mm -hmm. But what if there's a snapback effect that's going to come back to you right now. What you can impact is you right here and now. Mm -hmm. So you can go back and do that. You can do all that. It's not going to change what happened in school. Because, <laughs> you know, that's then and this is now. You know, it's like you can't really impact there are all these points in the timeline, the one and only timeline, and, and it's always you. Everywhere you jump on the timeline is the now instant, you know. 
Um, but the, the traction you have to materially change things in the here and now is in the here and now. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. It does make sense. It makes a lot okay. of sense. Do you think that there are um, different versions of me living on different alternate parallel universes and timelines? One of my favorite subjects, Gary. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I do. I do. I do. I'm always conscious of this other Vaughn, and I'm just wondering why he, he, he doesn't get so confused as I do, and he's like this, you know, I'm not going to say it's the, the, the uh, what, what is it, the, um, uh, what was it, uh, what was the movie actor that he always said, uh, I would like to be the, the me you see on the movie in my real life, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it just isn't that way. But, but I think that there are, there is, there are parallel views. I think that Jane Roberts really nailed it. I think that there is like a probable other you and you've created this person, you know, let's be honest. It just didn't happen. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, the two of you didn't like spring off the tree and one fell to the right, one fell to the left. Mm -hmm. You know, this is you, you know, and, and you fed this person and, and you've created this person. We, and we do this all the time, by the way. You know, we're also always creating entities. We create dark entities sometimes in our homes, and we call them ghostly figures that hulk in the, in the corner, shadowy figures. Right. And, and, and these are like, these are the mental and emotional energy that we cast off or project, knowingly or unknowingly. And so we're creating, always creating. And, and this is the manifesting aspect of, of consciousness you, that we, we do manifest things with our thoughts. Hmm. So do you think that a lot of paranormal phenomena is the result of people's consciousness? Like certain people yeah. maybe have more paranormal experiences because they've created more of these entities. And these entities are just following that particular investigator or whatever around. Or like me, they're just unlucky. I've given up go. I've given up ghost hunting. It's like it, it's like I was trained by people that would go into homes and they would find the 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 deceased spirit and they'd sit down there with them and they say, "Dearie, you got to move on. You know, I'll just sit with you until it feels good and then you go into the light." No, no, no. I got all the freaks out there. I yeah, I got all the, the tough ones. And it's like it, when you have somebody strangling you. Mm -hmm. And changing form from this to that to this to that in front of your eye, it's like no, 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 no. I, I don't want any part of that. But I do think that um, that there are like um, shadowy aspects of ourselves that we cast off, and in our in our thoughts then become collected, and they become in time shaped like us, mm -hmm. and they never actually have blue or green eyes. They'll have dark eyes and they'll be brooding figures and they'll be a shadow person but this is the shadow world this is what we live in yeah one of the things that i mean i've interviewed you know some occultists and stuff and one of the tools that they'll use is something called egregor or they yes. create a spirit to serve a specific purpose exactly that's one of the t uh, names you'd give it to exactly there are many others but but these are like these are like thought form beings you know, there can be excellent, excellent examples, I suppose, of thought form beings. These are dark ones. And it, it's just an example of how people will carelessly 
project their thoughts and we probably shouldn't even call it thoughts, but like um, emotional outbursts that go astray. And because we do have the ability to manifest things, when our unconscious, uh, careless, uh, misdirected thoughts go astray, they, they go astray with anger and resentment and, 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 and a sense of danger and, and, and often very dark emotions like gonna get you, you know, and it's like, and then in a minute, it's all better. But, but you know, no, you've cast off all of the uranium bits that are going to like melt us down in the future, right? So, so we create our own ra toxic radiate, radiation world by casting off our darkest thought forms. So, so I say this about consciousness, people need to be they need to be con they need to be aware of their own conscious thoughts and how they direct them where they direct them and the impact they will have because they will have direction they will have impact do you, you could hurt people do you think those thought forms still exist after a person's passed away oh that's a really good question gary i don't what do you think I have no idea like, because, I mean, yeah, my body's gone, but my other consciousness are still going. So if it's connected to those other consciousnesses, then I would have to say, yes, there's a good chance that those entities will still exist. You know, I, it, w one thing that continues to make them more menacing is that we continue to often unwittingly feed them with these dark emotions, these mm -hmm. dark thoughts. And we keep feeding them and feeding them and feeding them. So when you go into a house and you, and you find that the ghost really isn't Aunt Ruth or their dead poodle, you find that it's some dark figure that they've created with their thought forms. You have to tell them, like, clean up your act, you know, because you're feeding this thing, you know. And it's if you move out, you know, it's still probably going to be in that house. It's going to be there. Yeah. Because they don't have a, a – it's not like they get in the car and drive away with you. <laughs> they live in the corner. That's a tough thing, though, for people to do, even for me to do sometimes, is to change the way I think. Yeah. But, you know, like Krishnamurti, the Indian sage, always said, we have to be responsible for not only our actions but our thoughts. Absolutely. They, they, they do have impact, they, mm -hmm. and they can be dangerous. You think of group thought and how group thought will affect uh, people, you know. This can be very dangerous, you know. You can have an orator that riles up a crowd to do terrible things, like an Adolf Hitler or a Mussolini, or we don't have to look that far anymore. Mm. You know, somebody can stand in front of a stadium and rile up a lot of people that are just angry citizens, you know. And they don't know who should pay the price of their being angry. So what they do is they, you know, they just like send out this hateful thought, these hateful thoughts, you know, and they do have an impact. They, they create very dark outcomes. You know, if nothing else, they're going to give people a headache when you walk into the room where all these thoughts have spilled and bounced off the walls. But the same would also apply towards positive thoughts, like Buddhist monks yeah, doing yeah, like meta yeah. meditations and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, you can create your own your own uh, heavenly bliss, if you will. 
you know, the bodhisattvas, you know, the, the beautiful song they sang, the death song. You know, I had a cat that did that. This cat, I swear, I swear to God, Gary, my cat, when it died, it got into um, a posture like this, got very erect, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it was like a meditation pose. And it went, I thought, oh my gosh, I've seen this. This is the Bodhisattva uh, death song. He's singing a song, you know, and he, he died happily. I think that it was a sense of, um, what do you call it? Conscious dying. Yeah. I think, I think he's at one now in harmony with, you know, the greater consciousness, higher consciousness. So, I mean, that's the goal, you know, is to be in harmony with the, the, the higher cosmic consciousness. It is the goal. And it can be used to make the world a better place as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think of like the Maharishi Yoga and his transcendental meditation experiment. He said, I get 1% of the population together and they all meditate on peace and they project this thought of peace. And so, you know, we call this the Maharishi effect. But this has been replicated around the world. And what they found is everywhere where it's done, there would be a reduction in crime. Mm-hmm. It does create a sense of harmony, doesn't it? Yeah. And you look at the experiments of the Japanese researcher, Emoto. Right, in the water. Uh, yeah, in messages in water and, and other things. And, and, and he, he found that they could even they get a group of children together and they would think of love, love and healing, and they would send love and healing thoughts. You know, they could do this as a group. I mean, it has tremendous power. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing how, how it can be utilized. And there was also, I think there was a scientifically scientific study out of Princeton, too, where they um, measured, I, I don't know how they did it, but they, they used some kind of um, random number generator that would change wow. during stressful events in the world. Like the, the, the generator would change numbers like during like things like 9-11 and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so I'm from Seattle, and I remember as a child, <laughs> the part of the uh, Seattle Center was the Seattle Science Center. And there outside is like this great big kind of like, I don't know, it looks like almost, um, how would I describe it? Um, you have all these little pieces falling, falling, falling. And, it, and it's an example of, of, of orderliness out of chaos. It explains the chaos theory when you, when you study this thing. Because it's kind of like um, the way a pinball will like drop and bounce off things. And it, but in the end, out of all this chaos is uniformity and, and orderliness. And I think that's really the way the universe likes to do things. It's not the way we like to do things, <laughs> since we're we're out of harmony with the greater consciousness. Yeah. So so when we do this, when we're directing our consciousness to achieve a certain result, are we manifesting it through our consciousness using? Well, it, it could be a few things: law of attraction. It could yeah. be manifesting out of the ether, yeah. or intention to move towards a probability that already exists out of every existing probability i think i think that's it uh, uh, intention it's intentional 
you know, and if it's intentional, then you're solidly behind it. And this is the way things really become manifest. If it's solid, you're solidly behind it. In other words, your causal body or the causal plane is, 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 is activated. It's actually going to be, you know, thought, action, deed, or actually going to become uh, a reality, you know. So, so much of what we do, it's just like speculative. It's like, I, you know, I have this thought, you know, it's like, ah, that's a stupid thought. But it's like, with, if, we, if we begin to use our thoughts, you know, creatively with intention, mm-hmm. focusing them and with intention, you, I, I, I want to actually build something, you know. And so what do you want to build? You know, I think, I think we need to build toward toward a, a bigger structure, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is, which, which is actually, uh, I don't know. I always think of, you know, the, um, the music of the spheres that you're going to hear the, 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 the perfect, what eight notes of the diatonic scale played in a certain manner, you know? Um, and, and it, you, you're to see the colors of the rainbow in a certain pattern. And, and, and then when we have this uniformity, you know, of course it all blurs together, but when, but we have, we have a beautiful harmonic pattern to the way things go. It isn't all, it isn't all jumbled up, which is the way things are. You know, there's no focus or intent in all jumbled up. And that's the way most people conduct their, their thought form process. Their thought form Mm -hmm. projection is all jumbled up. Yeah, I agree. I I believe, too, that it is an intention moving towards a certain probability rather than law of attraction or manifesting out of the other. Yeah, you say a certain probability. I think it'd be a likely probability. You know, it's though there's such a thing as like um, destiny or or, um, what it's often called. It's um, um, the absolute certainty of how things are going to end up. You know, but is there is there really this sense of destiny? Are we predestined? But there's a likelihood, you know, a predisposition toward this. And I think that that to me, Gary, is the only way that I can look at like astrology or numerology or anything else like this. It's like there's a likely a likelihood that this is the probable outcome. Mm-hmm. It's that you're saying that the energy is predisposed in moving this direction, but it's like. But how does it get there? It gets there with all of us. All of us and our input is needed. I mean, every one of us is here, not just accidentally. It's going to take a group effort to make it happen. So, I mean, everyone's voice is, is, is part of that, that musical scale, you know, part of the great song of life. You know, every one of us in our thoughts and projections, you know, it is, is, is part of the great matrix of becoming. Everything is in a state of becoming, but what will it become? There's a probable outcome. Yep, there's a probable outcome. And it's beautiful, but it's like we haven't quite got in perfect harmony yet. It's going to take everyone to participate in the song. So this is a good segue to segue to your scroll on past lives. Yeah. Because... Past lives, if there's no such thing as time, that means all these lives are happening at once, 
as different probabilities. Y y yes. I mean, I think of like a, um, a, a moving uh, uh, conveyor belt. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> let, let's say you work at everyone's favorite merchandiser, you know, Amazon. How can they get you things in a day? You know, they have this huge conveyor belt. And it's like, it just like goes and they grab this and they grab that and they grab that and then it comes around and it goes into a box. You know, it's like, can you tell I've worked at book publishing plants? That's how they do it. Right. In the, in the first place I worked, they didn't have that. They would walk around looking endlessly throughout the day for boxes of books in corners. <laughs> I remember those pro Properly, yeah, just <laughs> horrible. And I said, have you ever been to a, a, an organized you know, a, a production plant, you know, it's like, this is not new. I mean, Henry Ford saw this years ago. So things move along the conveyor belt and it's like the chassis goes here and the battery goes in and the tires go on and, and they can build so many cars in a day using. Anyway, so it depends on where you are sitting on the conveyor belt, whether your world is a world of chassis, tires or batteries, you know, so right where you stand is where you are focusing your projection, and that is your whole world. But it's not your whole world. It's only only what you're focused on. Mm -hmm. If you if you shift your focus to something else, like say 1946 Toledo or 2024, you know Atlanta, then 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 that's where you are. You know, your spirit knows that your consciousness knows this. In your lucid dream, you can go there every single time. So some people do this, and they don't even call it dreaming. They're just really good at meditating and leaving their body and going. You know, the rest of us, we just have these lucid dreams. So, I mean, I'm really trying to get people to program their lucid dreams, because then they'll be just like the, the great mystics that can go beyond space and time. Hmm. So during this elusive dreaming state, then, is it possible to visit past lives? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Because to the, in the spirit realm, outside the physical body, there is no such thing as time and space. It's all fluid. It just, it's all swirling. And, and you can go anywhere, anytime. I mean, it, it's very hard to conceive of this because we are very linear thinkers. Yeah. There's a starting point, the midpoint, and then there's the, where, the point where you sit down and rest, and then you finish the race, and then there's a big line that says the finish line. And what's beyond the finish line? I don't know. You sit and rest. You know, it's like we're very goal-oriented, but we don't really go anywhere. <laughs> we just, we're always here right now. You know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a world of illusion where we're all walking in circles and going nowhere because we're all focused on right here, right now, which is fine, which is fine. But it's like there's much more, you know. How about um, other entities such as angels and multidimensional entities? Oh, can we encounter those type of entities yeah. during lucid dreaming yeah 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 all the time and and so so i mean my new book is is actually one that just came out from ed feathers called mysterious messages from beyond mm -hmm. and people are calling this the the ghost encounter book well yeah okay 
there have been many people that have heard from their dead relatives, most typically within three days of their passing. They'll mm-hmm. come by and they say, love you, kid. Bye-bye. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Was that my mom? Yeah, it was your mom. You know, um, but <clears throat> a lot of the mysterious messages from beyond would be, you know, other spirits other than deceased people. It would be like um, it would be like angels. It could be God. It could be it could be uh, a spirit guide. It could be a deva. It could be an energy spirit. It could be somebody on the other side of the world who just fallen off a mountain is screaming help. And are you listening? Are you really listening? Because we need to be listening. Hmm. We need to listen with new ears and see with new eyes. So I didn't just make that up. I actually looked in the Bible, Gary, and I found 30, oh, was it 35 or 36 references, Old and New Testaments, see with new eyes, hear with new ears. And every teacher uh, of, of esoteric um, impact throughout time has been saying the same thing. Learn to see with new eyes, learn to hear with new ears. Your physical ears can only hear what's physically here. It can't see Toledo 1946. It can't. But but there are there is an awareness within all of us on a consciousness level, consciousness level that can see beyond space and time. It can travel to all of these places. With the idea of being able to see with new ears and new eyes, how does that benefit us? Yeah, so I mean, there is so much out there, so much information. I mean, I, I mean, I try to talk about very practical things, you know, in mysterious messages. So I think like there's the there's the urgent telegram, you know, someone says, you know, like 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 Bell's first phone, you know, he says, "Come here, Watson, I need you." That was the first message, right? So th- these are like these are like telegraphs. People are telepathically saying help, you know, I'm lost. So I always tell people when you lose people, when you lose a pet or a friend of yours is missing, or they're trying to locate someone, um, you've lost your car keys. You, you just need to like go deep within you and look, you need to see with new eyes and hear with new ears. It's there. Your consciousness can find it. You know, so I have like examples of how to listen to like lost pets and how to hear message, how to know when people are thinking of you and want your attention or need your attention, you know, and, and, and how to find your lost keys and your consciousness knows where it is. And it's like, you know, the other day I lost, I lost um, my, my, my phone. And I said, no, Vaughn, I said, don't, don't cop out. You actually have a whole chapter on finding lost objects and I said, and you know how to do this? And I, okay, I sat down, I did the exercise and I'm like, yep, they're in the back of my friend's Prius. And he says, that's impossible. I said, yep, they're in the back of your friend's Prius. And I said, I can see them, I can see them. Well, something in me could see them. I called my friend, I said, would you please check the back seat of your Prius on the floorboard next to the, the cookie wrapper? <laughs> is <laughs> a little black cell phone. He said, my gosh, there is. How'd that get there? I said, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't remember 
it's slipping out of my, you know, I have a, like a, a, a holster, mm-hmm. how, how it could have slipped through the seat, you know, through the, through the seat onto the back floor, but it did, you know, and it's like your consciousness knows all of this. That's like remote viewing what you did, right? It's remote viewing. Thank you. So anybody can remote view. It's, it's not just for, um, you know, well, you know, psychics that do this on command for the government or for the police, finding lost things and going and seeing things. You can go and you can see, you know, you're remotely viewing, not with these physical eyes, but with a sense of awareness that's mm-hmm. much keener. Yeah, and, and that also takes you out of space. So I took a, a remote court, remote viewing course with David Morehouse, and it was absolutely incredible. Hmm. How, how well and how accurate it is. Yeah, and you can practice this, and and the more you do it, the better you'll you get. Mm-hmm. I think largely because you get confident in trusting yourself, because you say like, oh, yeah, that's what I saw. So, but I always I always like in a lot of the exercises I have in the book will encourage people to work with a, a somebody else. You yes, know? yes. Yeah. So, so you can verify. Yes, this really, really happened. Yeah, I took like, my class with about twenty people, so it's pretty. Cool. Yeah. So I, I like the idea of you know, like you go go into a room and you sit down and you have a friend going into the adjoining room and sit down, and you're you know you're you can't see each other. And you tell your friend, send me some thoughts. Don't tell me what you're going to say. And you do this for a long, long time and then get together and say, what, what do you think I said? You know, and you, you start to talk and you say, well, I had this impression. It'll, it'll, it'll begin very weakly. And I had this impression you were thinking kind of along these lines. They say, yeah, pretty close. So it gets better and better. And then you reverse roles and do the same thing. It's, it's, a lot of what we're talking about, yeah, remote viewing, a lot of it's like we're talking about is telepathy, mm-hmm. but all, all of it is projecting projecting consciousness beyond the physical body. Do you think that fear is the biggest blockage to accessing these conscious abilities? Yeah, I think you touched on it because the physical body, your brain is such a control freak (laughs) it doesn't want you to do anything that might be dangerous or put you in a vulnerable situation or or confuse you you know so it's it's like overly it's like the overly protective mother that'll never let you go outdoors (laughs) you know say but mother i'll put on mittens and i'll put on a hat it says no it doesn't matter you know it's just no 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 you know it's dangerous out there you know I'm not there to protect you, you know. So these, so nothing happens. So you don't explore, you don't grow, you don't experience anything. So what I always caution people to do in learning to meditate or, or set up a lucid dream is you have to go through this kind of like um, body, mind, spirit harmonization. And I think in a, in a lot of Buddhist meditations, the, the, experience this sense of this 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 oneness of uh, you know I'm comfortable in my body you know I am I'm, I'm 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 relaxed you know I'm trusting so what you need to do is the, you need to convince the mind 
that when you put the body to sleep and you put the mind to sleep and that you're going to leave, that it's, it's going to be okay that you, you, you physically put your physical self in a safe place, a place where it can be rested and tranquil and, and, and not filled with anxieties and, and that it's going to be rested during this little period. And when you come back, everything's going to be just fine. And I think what happens for a lot of people is they're afraid. It's like, if I leave the body, you know, can I get back to the body? You know, and the mind plays all these little fear games. It's dangerous. You know, I can't have a lucid dream. I can't have an out-of-body experience. I cannot remotely view. I mean, what if I go out there and I get stuck and I can't get back, you know? Mm -hmm. This is just so unlikely because you have a karmic uh, uh, attraction between your spirit body, your consciousness out there, and your physical body. All you have to do is think of you, and you're, you're together again. Yeah, to me, like, that one doesn't even make sense to me because the how's the physical body going to exist anyway without a mental body or vice versa? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so that, that fear to me seems to be completely irrational. It is irrational, but you know, uh, our mind is largely irrational. You know, <laughs> you know that's why psychologists make so much money off us. <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> they say you're having crazy thoughts. They say, yeah, that's why I came to you. And so, oh, a lot of people have these crazy thoughts. So what they do is just get you to relax and kind of go back, and you go back, and you know, when you were a child, how did you become so fearful of everything? You know. I mean, the one that really got me was a psychologist named uh, Michael Newton. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I was lucky to work with Michael Newton. He wrote Journey of Souls, Destiny of Souls. And he would ask people on his couch to regress as far back as they could. Now, most people would go back to when they were a tiny little child. And they would resolve these problems of the child uh, being confused and having bad information, having baggage they bring forward psychologically today. Well, in his case, he, he, he was lucky. He, he had a lot of people over the years, and he practiced for many, many years. Michael Newton actually had people regressed before this life, and they didn't remember just necessarily a previous life. They remembered a life, you know, he'd go back, go back a little farther, go back a little farther. They would go back, and they would experience life between physical lives. And, and, and what it was like just to be pure energy. It's just an incredible way of looking at things when they describe themselves as just a, a speck of light. That's who we really are. We're a speck of light inside this big, you know, you ever go and buy something in the store and you get this big box and you open it up and there's this tiny little thing. <laughs> well, we have this huge body and inside us is this little spark. That's uh -huh. who you really are. That's the true self. Where did that spark come from? <coughs> it, it, it's a spark off the, the great, you know, eternal flame, you know. The, the, we are the, the, the children of light. We're the sons and daughters of light, you know. Um, I totally believe that, you know. I mean, that's in, in Gnosticism, they talk about mm -hmm. the children of light, you know. You read... Uh, the Sophia of Jesus Christ, or you read Pista Sophia, or any of these Gnostic uh, esoteric pieces, and they always talk about, 
We are the children of light. I am light. You are light. My father above is the ultimate source of all light. You know, angels are light. Angels are like effulgent light. That is to say that the, the energy in angels is so built up, so magnified and self-contained, not leaked out as we leak out energy. And they're, they're filled with energy. They're pure energy. So, so this is what we think of as like the spirit filled is like light, you know? So we, we I mean, ultimately there is light, you know, uh, I, I love to read the essays of, of, of Professor Einstein. Everything is, is light. Everything is electromagnetic energy mm -hmm. that has is, is, been rained down lovingly upon the earth. Everything, you know. And, and, and it's the universal constant is this light. That's pretty beautiful, you know. I mean, I do think that, you know, there's... Yeah, I mean, the Bible said, let there be light. You know, according to the Vedas, it's more of a sound, like an ohm. But yeah. is there really a difference between light and sound anyway? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe right. not. I mean, it's, it's, what we're talking about is, is intelligent energy, our vibrations. Yeah. So it's vibrations. So you can, measure, you, can measure, you can measure sound vibrations in the same sense you can measure light vibrations. You know, it's just vibrations. Things are like... Active. So this is the thing to remember. This is the big takeaway here is that it's active. This is intelligent energy that's percolating. It's active. And, and, and so it's alive. And everything then is in a state of becoming. The, the, the world we see in front of us, we see I'm looking around a crazy little office here in a chair and I'm looking at a computer and I'm looking at you at a screen on Zoom. And it's all like, oh, these are like solid objects. No, they're not. <laughs> no. no, they're not. You know, it's just, this is just, this is manifest energy that is just slowed down. And, and it too will change. The mm -hmm. chair won't always be here. Everything's going to become something else. And in the, in, in the world, the non-physical world of, of, of pure energy, of, of the spirit realm, that we're speaking of, everything is, is in a constant change, state of change. And so when we're entering this realm, things are quickly changeable and changes are much more likely to happen quickly. So that's why I encourage people to learn to manifest things by, by uh, carefully uh, projecting their consciousness uh, with intent because you have tremendous power outside your physical realm. Within your physical realm, it takes forever to build a house, right? Yes. It's like, well, you know, it's not that way in a non-physical world. Mm -mm. And, and, imagine and, and, it. It's imagine it. And, and we should be as comfortable in that world as in this world. We have seven bodies. Six of them are subtle energy bodies. One of them is physical. Because we walk around with the suit doesn't mean that we are the suit. We're more than our physical bodies. I totally agree. Um, when, we're, when we look at our subtle bodies, and well, well actually, like you just mentioned, like, why do we spend so much time fixated on this physical body and not so much time on the outer bodies now? However, it seems like in ancient cultures, going probably all the way back to Atlantis or even yeah. further, 
they did focus on these subtle bodies a whole lot more than we did. Yeah, you know, something weird happened. We just got so, so I don't I kind of blame the age of science. I believe it. Lavoisier. Uh, let's go back to the French. The father of chemistry was Lavoisier, who lost his head during the French Revolution, but he was also... <laughs> He was also a chemist, and he, and he said, everything is measurable. You know, I can measure this and measure that, you know, and, and, and he was the one, that, the first would measure, measure things. So he was the first chemist. And then, you know, and it's like he found out that the, 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 the physical realm that we live in was very measurable, and nothing could actually be converted. You know, it's like I, you can't convert anything that's physical into another realm. You know, and so he said, this is it. This is, you know, this is all there is, you know. And then it just drew a, just a, uh, an absolute line of sand that said that the physical world is permanent and, and is measurable and it was linear. And it, you know, we got into this material reductionist philosophy. I'm not blaming Lavoisier. The poor guy did lose his head. But, but you know, it, it's like, wow. I mean, this is very limiting in, our, in the way things are. You know, this is only one aspect of living. This, this one moment in time when the, when, the, when the seed became a flower. And after it, it, we say, dies, it transcends into a seed and it grows again into a flower. So it's always becoming something is the point. You can look at nature and you can see this is true. Absolutely true. But we, we don't live with nature anymore. We live with material reductionism and measuring everything, you know, like Lavoisier. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely nature probably, just simple observation of nature probably holds all the answers. I think so. I think you just walk in the woods and it all becomes self-evident. Yeah. That's what I think. Um, so what do you think the future holds for humans' evolution of consciousness? That's a really good one. <laughs> um, I would like to think that we're eventually, I think that consciousness is expanding. And I think, it's a, I think we're going through a consciousness shift right now in our society but it but it it needs it needs more people to buy into it you know and 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 it needs more people this is the way thought forms work you know it's like the power of thought form is very powerful you know one person has a thought it has some impact 10 people have the same thought simultaneously it has more so i i think that i think we need if we're going through a polar shift in consciousness we need more people invested in the this 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 evolution, you know, this growth. So we're 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 obviously going through a period of great change, and this is very very difficult for a lot of people. But what are the what's the change for the people we see that people are going through? Our physical world is changing all around us. Well, that's the way it goes. You know, the physical world is going to change all around it. And it's like, if you thought that the chair was always going to be a chair and the deck chairs were never going to be rearranged on your boat, well, you're mistaken because they're all going to be rearranged. I mean, I just came out over here on a boat ride today that, <laughs> whoa, big waves, everything was reoriented. 
So nothing is stable in our world. It's a world of change, you know, and it's like, get over it. You know, it's like, you know, get with it. You know, I, I think that, I think that people are, are so resistant to change because it's uncomfortable. You know, they think, well, I, I've just gotten used to, you know, wearing these socks. I'm never going to change these socks. It's like, well, these socks are getting old. You know, you better think about like changing them or washing them. Well, you know, we get very comfortable in, 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 our, in the way we live and, 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 you see this, the older people get, they become entrenched in their thoughts and their lifestyle and their, in their approach to living. And they, they don't, they don't go in any new directions. So I'm, I'm not sure I can tell a lot of old people how to, how to program their lucid dreams and how to expand their consciousness and how to link their, their group thoughts into evolving consciousness toward a greater cosmic harmony i don't i don't think but i but i think that i think the younger people can you know i think this is this is why i love to go on shows with people like you gary because you know the younger people know how to turn on the computers yes <laughs> this is really great you know and and, and they're going to get this they're going to figure this out you know and, and 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 they're going to evolve with it you know mm-hmm. yeah i don't think that the fact that there are earth changes means anything more than that there are physical earth changes. Everything is, and I don't mean to diminish global warming or, you know, some of these problems, which are very serious because they do make life uncomfortable. And there is like, you know, uh, the possibility of, of physical extinction. But listen, there's no real extinction. There's no real death. You know, the flower dies. No, it, it, it transforms back into a seed and grows another flower. So if, if, we, if, if, if there's, this is going to be a changed world we live in, you know, physically there will be discomfort for a lot of us, us and the polar bears, to be sure. But, but, we're going to survive this because we are more than our physical selves. Awesome. The future looks very good. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all gloom and gloom. When the Arctic um, uh, ice all melts, it isn't the end. It's just momentous physical change. Right. So... Yeah, I mean, um, We've all been here, around here, and we've all been on this rodeo a long time. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be on this rodeo forever and ever. It's the carousel that never stops. That's for sure. Um, so, thank you so much for coming on today. And thank you. I apologize for sleeping the extra half hour. <laughs> <laughs> make it, really late. it was a chance, perchance a chance to dream, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, before we wrap it up, where can people be able to get these scrolls and find your other work? So you can go to Amazon and, and, and look up my name, V O N 
and there aren't many VONs. So it's not Von Braun. It'll be Von Bra- <laughs> Von Brashler. It'll be the ex, the second Von. And it's like so, like mysterious messages from beyond manifesting. T- uh, time shifts are all recent books. Mm-hmm. They're all going to be listed there, and you can look under my author notes in my author uh, profile on on Amazon and see when I'll next be on Gary's show, right? Yes. That's that's what we want to know. So, um, so we want to know everything imaginable. So the scrolls will come out in September. You can actually read a little bit about them because there's a picture of them. And I was so blown away by how the art department, I, I just told Chris at Red, uh, Red Feather, I said, just let your art department go wild. Oh my gosh, hmm. you know, what a nice scroll they made. <laughs> that <is> fantastic. <laughs> Would you be interested in doing a show with Frank Joseph? He always talks great stuff about you. I think Frank's the just the greatest. I would love I would love to be in the same room with Frank Joseph, but I'll be, I'll be listening the whole time because the guy is really really bright. He is, but he, I know like every time I talk to him, he's he always asks me like, "Have you talked to Vaughn?" Yeah, he's Frank's one of my favorite people. Yeah, mine too. They're both fantastic, and I really appreciate both of you. Well, you, you get Frank, and I'm there. All right. I'll talk to Frank. I, I, I'd love to do both of you and set both on at the same time. I think that would be like the most interesting conversation ever. Every time I bring out something to Frank, I'm thinking it's outside of his wheelhouse. It's like, no, <laughs> no. He, he, he's gone all through that wheelhouse. And it's like he's got some answers for me. And it's like, oh, you, folks out there, you want to read Frank. Yeah. <laughs> and you want to read Vaughn. <laughs> There's two authors you want to read. <laughs> Just rehashed Frank. <laughs> well, thank you, Gary. That'd thank be great. You. Uh, and I'll put the link to uh, your um, work in the notes of this episode so my listeners can check it out. And, Super. Uh, and let me fantastic. know and I'll, I'll post it. Yeah. And we'll do this again with Frank. Thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> thank you. Hang on for one second. I'm just going to play the outro. Okay. Thank you.